To taste honey, or food sweetened by honey, is to ponder. What are the pleasures that are truly sustaining and enduring? What are the joys that even experience just a little bit, brighten our eyes in a dark existence, just as honey brought light and luster to Jonathan's weary world? Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 85, Honey, a Culinary and Theological Reflection. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. I speak in praise of the humble honey cake and of the ingredient for which it is named Bee Honey of the Honeycomb. Now a rear remnant and reminder of the Jewish world that once was, honey cake once dominated the Ashkenazic culinary world like a colossus. Almost a thousand years ago, Rabbi Eliezer of Worms, known as the Rokeach or the Perfumer, one of the great medieval sages of Ashkenaz, reported the established ritual for a child on the first day of school. The teacher would read the Hebrew alphabet aloud from a tablet, and the child would repeat it after him. Honey would then be smeared on the tablet, and the letters licked by the child. A reminder of Psalms telling us that the Torah is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. And after this, the Rokeach reports, One brings cake kneaded with honey, on which has been written verses from the Torah. The verses are recited by the teacher, and the child devours the cake. Ultimately, in the cuisine of Ashkenaz, honey cake was utilized to mark life cycle occasions, a wedding or a bar mitzvah or a circumcision or some other joyous Jewish moment. And even after honey cake faded in the contemporary culinary era, nevertheless, it was still eaten on Rosh Hashanah, and throughout the Jewish world, honey is still held up as an omen of the hoped-for sweet year to come. All this with bee honey. This is striking because this food makes very little appearance in the Hebrew Bible. When we are informed that the Holy Land is flung with milk and honey, this is a reference to date honey. And yet bee honey takes center stage in two tales in the Tanakh. We have seen the story of Samson and the riddle he coined about honey, and we will return to it at the end of today's talk. And now we are coming upon the only other story in all of the prophets where bee honey plays a seminal role. And just these two tales, as brief as they may be, tell us a great deal about what honey embodies and what it has symbolized as it was joyously ingested throughout Jewish history. In chapter 11, right after Saul's selection as king, he leads Israel to battle against Ammon. A great victory is won, and many in Israel threatened to punish any who had expressed skepticism about Saul's imminent kingship. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 12. And the people said to Samuel, Who is he that, said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord has wrought salvation to Israel. Saul is then formally installed as king in chapter 12, and then in 13, Israel battles against the Philistines. As the masses of the enemy gather, and Israel is afraid, Saul brings offerings to God as a way of sustaining the people and keeping them from scattering. But he was supposed to wait for Samuel before doing so. Samuel understands this refusal to wait for him as reflecting a lack of leadership and faith. And therefore the prophet tells Saul in verse 14, Now thy kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. As Samuel departs, the battle against the Philistines proceeds, with only Jonathan and Saul wielding fully sharpened swords. Jonathan devises a sort of sign which, if it occurs, he can take as a signal from God that he is supposed to attack alone with his armor-bearer upon the Philistine camp. And in the end, this is what Jonathan does. Chapter 14, verse 12. 
And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. Jonathan's heroics sets the stage for the victory in the battle to follow. But while Jonathan is away from the larger army, he does not hear that Saul takes an oath, a curse, forbidding all men from eating anything until the battle is done. As the fighting commences, the starving soldiers come upon a beehive. Verse 26. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, a stream of honey. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. And he put the end of the rod that was in his hand, and dipped it in honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth. And his eyes were brightened. Then one of the people answered and said, Thy father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eats any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father has troubled the land. See, I pray you, how my eyes have brightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. Look, Jonathan says, the slightest bit of honey restored light to my eyes. This tale inspires us to examine the unique properties of honey. First, we take note of the fact that honey is the one food that never spoils. In the excavations of the tomb of the ancient pharaoh King Tut, honey was discovered that archaeologists were able to taste and found it still absolutely edible. Moreover, as Jonathan's story indicates, even the slightest bit of honey has an extraordinary amount of energy packed within it. Thus, an article in Runner's World tells us, quote, The perfect running fuel, honey's natural unrefined sugars, are easily absorbed by the body. These simple carbohydrates are a great source of energy. In fact, honey was even used by runners in the Olympic Games in ancient Greece as an energy source, end quote. That is interesting, but the fact is that long before the Olympics, it was an Israelite, Jonathan, who used honey as an energy source when battling the enemies of Israel. Upon returning to the camp, Saul wishes to punish his son for his accidental violation of Saul's oath. Verse 44. And Saul answered, God, do so more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has wrought this great salvation in Israel? Far be it, as the Lord lives. Not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground. Saul gives in to public pressure, and Jonathan lives. As Rabbi Amnon Bazak has noted, there is a striking linguistic link here between Saul's first battle and now. When the Israelites originally wanted to punish anyone skeptical of Saul, the appointed king said that the salvation experienced was a sign that mercy should be given. Yet here, when Jonathan himself helped in the salvation, Saul seems to reflect no mercy on his son. And perhaps, ladies and gentlemen, this points to a central plot twist in the chapters to come a division between Saul and his son. According to Talmudic tradition, one of the arguments put forward by Israel, this is one opinion in the Talmud, was a legal loophole offered in defense of Jonathan. Jonathan, it was argued, never truly violated Saul's oath because he did not actually fully eat food. He merely had a slight lick of the honey. Meaning, because honey is an energy source unlike other foods, even less than a true ingestion, a tiny taste brought about Jonathan's beautiful proclamation, See how my eyes lit up when I ate but a bit of this honey. With this verse in mind, we are now able to begin to understand why honey and honey cake might be so central and symbolic to Jewish cuisine and tradition. Knowing that honey does not spoil, and reading of the powerful light brought 
back to Jonathan's eyes, we can suggest the following. To taste honey, or food sweetened by honey, is to ponder. What are the pleasures that are truly sustaining and enduring? What are the joys that even experience just a little bit, brighten our eyes in a dark existence, just as honey brought light and luster to Jonathan's weary world? Jews living in environments that were often dark and bitter became all the more dedicated to savoring life's sweetest moments, and perhaps they ate honey cake at celebrations in order to remind them to do so. To eat honey or honey cake is to remind ourselves that for all the enjoyable experiences out there in life, it is those like the study of Torah or the entry of a baby into the covenant or the founding of a Jewish home that are the pleasures in life that are truly sustaining and truly wonderful. We are now able to conclude by joining the tale of Jonathan and his honey with the other most famous story in Tanakh in which the honeycomb appears, one which we have already seen. Samson, in the book of Judges, was attacked by a lion and killed it. Later, he came upon the carcass of this lion and saw that the bees had built a honey hive within the lion, death teeming with life, and he coined a riddle to describe what he had seen. From the devourer came forth sustenance. From the fierce came forth the sweet. This is essentially the sum total of the discussion of stories about bee honey in the Bible. And yet, with these brief mentions, we can now perhaps understand why Samson's riddle, especially when combined with Jonathan's tale, captures the essence of the Jewish experience. Let us take as an example a ketubah, a Jewish marriage contract that sits today in the archives of Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. At first glance, it seems like any other that might have been written up in advance of a chuppah joining Jewish bride and groom. And only one who's familiar with the traditional Talmudic text might be able to discern something striking in the written words. It records, as does every ketubah for two millennia, the location and content of the Jewish wedding. And then we note, if you look carefully, in the Hebrew and Aramaic, the location. We read, In Bergen-Belsen, a groom named Moshe said to his bride Miriam, Be unto me a wife according to the laws of Moses and Israel, and I will cherish, honor, support, and maintain you in accordance with the custom of Jewish husbands who cherish, honor, support, and maintain their wives faithfully. As I noted in a recent article in Commentary, the man who wrote this ketubah, the man who officiated at this wedding, was Hermann Helfgott, an Hungarian rabbi who survived the war, made his way to Bergen-Belsen, and joined other clergy in burying the murdered and ministering to the survivors. Helfgott was approached by two of these survivors, who wanted to marry, create a Jewish family, and show fealty to faith and tradition in every aspect of the ceremony. And so, this ketubah, according to tradition, would have been written. According to Yad Vashem, Helfgott had no Jewish books with him, and so he had to inscribe the complex text of the ketubah entirely from memory. So let us imagine, ladies and gentlemen, for a moment, a man who spent several weeks after surviving a war, now burying tens of thousands of Jews in mass graves, and then has to perform a wedding, and reaches into the recesses of his memory to compose a ketubah for a bride and groom who have lost everything and wish to start their lives anew. Consider the image of a survivor of the Holocaust concluding a ketubah with the standard words, Hakol Sharir Vikayam, all is valid and enduring. Writing those words, all is valid and enduring, after this man, this rabbi, has encountered the most egregious evil and seen the once enduring world of his youth destroyed. Ponder this piece of paper, meditate over this marriage, and we realize the faith of its officiant and of its participants. 
And this ketubah highlights how in the midst of death, Jews still celebrated life and embraced what was sweet. And so Samson's metaphor, honey in the dead lion, and Jonathan's bit of honey that brought light to his eyes when joined, gives us the tale of Jewish history in some of its most inspiring moments. For this ketubah testifies to a family formed in Bergen-Belsen in what had just been a death camp, a chuppah in what was once a concentration camp. This is a honey hive in the carcass of a lion, a Jewish wedding celebrated defiantly inside the dead and defeated Nazi death machine. Jewish joy, as it were, in the belly of the beast. Me'a'ochul yatsa ma'achal. From the carcass of the devourer comes forth something sustaining. Me'az yatsa matok. From the fierce comes forth the sweet. Lion after lion, beast after beast, savage civilization after savage civilization attempted to devour us. But even as they died, our ancestors rebuilt and like bees made humble hives and homes and filled them with honey. We endured because our ancestors knew what was enduring, treasured what was truly a treasure, truly enlightening, and savored what was truly sweet. And for the many bitter centuries before, Jews talked and learned Torah at their tables in the ghettos and in the pale of persecution. Torah that the Psalms, as we will later see, tells us is sweeter than honey of the honeycomb. And they taught the Torah to their children, giving them honey cake at the same time. And with Honeycake, they celebrated life cycle events in families because they knew that these moments were the primary vehicles through which their faith would be passed on. If we lived when our enemies perished, if we survived persecution, while lion after lion rotted on the ash heap of history, it was because of the honey in our lives, sweetness founded on faith in family, sanctity, and love. And so too, perhaps, I suggest that every Jewish New Year, Jews around the world drizzled honey on bread and apples, not merely to pray for a sweet year, but also we can suggest, to remind them what parts of life were truly sweet. Once before Rosh Hashanah shopping online for the holiday, I bought an entire frame of honeycomb from the beehive. The website promised me that the honey would, quote, last forever. I thought that frame was actually a useful reminder of how we ought to frame our own goals in our lives. For one does not need to eat honey or honey cake. One does not need, like Jonathan, to come upon honeycomb while starving in the midst of battle in order to understand and appreciate all that the food embodies. If we focus on the pleasures in life that are truly like honey, if despite all of life's difficulties we bear in mind and focus on what is truly important, truly sustaining, truly enlightening, truly enduring, then that will help our lives be sweet ones. And may our learning about honey together today inspire us to seek out the aspects of life that are sweetest of all. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.